What would you do if you could do anything? I'm Elena and welcome to The Purpose Effect. Conversations with women who have found their purpose and are building the lives they always wanted. We talk about fear, failure, what success really means, and how to develop the belief that you can. If you are looking to dive into your purpose, these stories will definitely inspire you to take the plunge. Today, I'm talking to Kylie Dennis, founder of Homology Yoga, a yoga studio right here in Kuala Lumpur, which since opening in 2017, has developed a fiercely loyal community of students and practitioners. Over the last year, when many fitness businesses were shutting their doors due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Homology launched Homology Online. Kylie talks to me about how what began as a way to stay relevant to her students and community has very quickly grown into a global yoga platform and has now become Homology's core business. The story of how she navigated this journey is full of lessons for anyone out there who is looking to launch their own online product. Kylie and I also talk about what brought her to yoga, rising from destabilizing challenges, and most importantly, whether she's a leggings or a bike shorts kind of girl. You know, lately I'm feeling the bike short vibe, but I, I think I'm diehard leggings. Yeah? Yeah, especially for like a yoga practice. I get really sweaty. If you're doing any arm balancing, I will be slipping all over the place in my shorts. So yeah, leggings are always the way to go. Okay, let's get into it. Okay. Thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to have this chat. I'm excited. Good. Good. (laughs) Um, So, as you know, I've been a fan of homology for quite some time. I really like the space. I like that it feels very inclusive, and I also love the teachers that you've brought together. I think what I'm most inspired by, that you made this decision that you were going to become a yoga teacher. And then you started a studio, and from that studio, that local Malaysian studio built a global yoga business. A lot of people have big ideas, right? But it takes courage, first of all, to act on it, and then, you know, a lot of discipline and hard work to execute it. So I think that's something that everyone can learn from, and I'm excited to hear about your story. So let's start at the beginning. How did it all begin for you? So, first of all, thank you for that. I I never get tired of hearing people say wonderful things about the space that we've built. And I say we because really it takes a a village, it takes a team. Um, And I've had wonderful people work with me from the beginning to build that space to what it is and to build the vibe that you feel when you walk in. And honestly, there is no higher compliment than to hear that it's a space that promotes inclusivity, um, and that does recognize that bodies come in all shapes and sizes and that, you know, we're, we're there to support you throughout the practice and whatever that's going to look like for you. So, so thank you for that. <laughs> I always like keep these in my memory bank for like days where I'm feeling a little, a little sad. I remember I come back to that, um, which isn't often, but, but yeah, it's there. Um, but yeah, it, it really, my yoga practice started out very, um, I think the way a lot of people's yoga practice starts out, um, I had a double knee injury from being a long time runner. I ran long distance 
you know, between five and 10K every single day of the week. Yeah. Um, and I had done this since I was about 13 years old. And suddenly when I was 19, I, you know, I was a kilometer outside of my home and I had collapsed. My knees had just basically locked and like given up on me. And so I was in a lot of pain. Even just walking was uncomfortable. I definitely could not run anymore. Um, and for me, that was like the end of physical activity. Right. Um, I was also in the midst of like my university studies at this point. And it was, you know, really stressful. It was a stressful time. I was working three jobs. Um, I was, you know, writing a thesis or starting to look at writing a thesis. And so I had a boyfriend at the time say to me, like, look, I think you need like an outlet. And I know you can't run anymore, but like, what if you tried yoga? Mm -hmm. And I just like rolled my eyes because I had tried yoga one time before and it was just, it was so slow and boring. It was just like, not for me. I was hardcore. I'm like, yeah. no, I can't do this. Um, and so I, you know, shrugged it off and it wasn't until I really kind of felt like I need to move my body and I just, I really couldn't run anymore that I thought, okay, there's a yoga studio at the end of my street. I'm going to walk down the street and take one yoga class. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> I, I walked into probably like, I don't want to say the worst possible case scenario, but like the most intense yoga class that I could have possibly walked into. Oh, wow. It was a level two Ashtanga class. And the humans in that class were breathing so loud, like major Ujjayi vibes and like, they were doing all of these inversions and like there's this, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but like this chaturanga hopping position where you hop forward on your mat and hop back in chaturanga. I have seen this being done. But My um, mind was never like, yeah, I was like, I did not know a human body could do that. And furthermore, it was, you know, women in my community, just badass and strong. Mm inverting and like holding themselves up in these gravity defying positions. And I was like, yo, I <laughs> want to do that. Like, this is the kind of yoga I can get behind. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that teacher wanted me back in that class because I was like literal noob. So I left that class and went home and then I looked on the schedule and there was a beginner's class and it was every Monday night at a perfect timing with my, my schedule and so I went, I bought myself a five class package and I went to that Monday class and became really, really good friends with the teacher. We ended up traveling together years later and it just, it, it gave me the foundation that I needed. It was like a beginner's level class and there was, you know, five of us, I can still picture it every single Monday. Sometimes my sister would join um, and it was really fun. I loved it. And we did, we learned some of these, you know, crow pose, gravity defying kind of things. Um, and that's how I sort of built up a little bit of a practice. Okay. Yeah. So then what made you think, you know what, this is more than just an outlet for me. I'm going to really pursue this. I'm going to turn this into my career. Well, originally I, I have a legal background. I was writing my thesis um, in legal philosophy. My aim was to complete my law degree um, and go into human rights law. Mm-hmm. 
And so I came here on a um, internship for human rights organizations working with uh, refugees and migrant workers, particularly ones who had, you know, seen some form of abuse and needed help in the system. Yeah. And so I, during that time, had kind of worked for three months and it wasn't what I hoped it would be. Right. Um, and after, you know, going through university and working so hard and having these big ideas and this big sort of plan for life, it felt really, really um, like lunch bag let down, you know, like it was not what I expected at all. And so I felt a little bit uninspired and, and I was still practicing very avidly at this time. Yeah. You know, yoga had really become my moment in my day to just yeah. tune out the noise. And so I kept going back to my mat, kept going back to my practice. And one night when I was out with some friends, someone had said to me, well, what would you do? If you could do anything, regardless of how much money you would make, what would you do? And without even missing a beat, I said, I would teach yoga. I would open a yoga studio and I would teach yoga every single day because it's something that brings me an immense amount of joy and peace. And it was in that moment that that person had said to me, well, why don't you? And that moment was like a light bulb moment. Like, why don't I? Yeah. You know, I'm young. If I don't enjoy it and I really want to go and pursue, you know, my law degree and and pursue, you know, a career in human rights law, then like there's still that opportunity. It's not to say that if I do this, I can't do that. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, let's give it a go. Why not? So I started first with my yoga teacher training because I wanted it to be like the litmus test. Do I right. enjoy this? Mm -hmm. My big concern was, of course, like you said, like this was something that was so personal to me. It was sacred, my practice. Yeah. And I didn't want the fact that it was my career to ever take away from that. Yeah. And it was in sort of like it, when you do a yoga teacher training, you have to do like a little practicum. Mm -hmm. And it was in that practicum after I had what, finished. What is a practicum? It's like, um, it's where you teach to the other students in the class. So okay. you assume the role of teacher and mm -hmm. then your teacher would grade your performance basically. Um, and so, and give you feedback and things like that. Uh, and it was in that moment that my, my teacher Shilpa from Yoga Shakti had said, like, you were born to do this. Like, this is like absolutely where you're supposed to be. And I had felt that. And so just hearing it like reaffirmed, like, okay, give it a try. Yeah. You know, so I did, I freelanced for a while, really enjoyed it. Taught at a number of studios, got to know like a lot of different students, viewed and worked with a lot of different bodies so that I really built up my experience. Yeah. And then after a while, I felt like, okay, it was time to maybe go and do my own thing. I wanted a space where I could really grow my teaching practice. Mm -hmm. And so I started to consider opening a space of my own. Yeah. And then Amology was born. And then Omology was born. Yeah. It sounds a little overly simplistic <laughs> saying it like that, but yeah, that's basically what it was. It was really, yeah, just this organic unfolding of events that sort of like led up to this consideration, like maybe I could do this. So you've said that this happened really organically and perhaps it feels that way in hindsight, but can you break that down a bit? How did you build your community? How did you use social channels? Yeah, well... At that time, social media kind of like wasn't what it is today. Yeah. Now it is such a powerhouse and it's it can be a really, really, really good tool, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're starting a new business. But back then, I say back then, like it was like, oh, back then. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, we didn't have like Instagram stories or anything. We just, it was like the feed yeah, was what photos. we had, right? Yeah. 
Um, I had my own Instagram feed and a lot of my students were following me. Yeah. So, and you know, we would, you know, chit chat after class and stuff. So when I left teaching, I took an eight month sabbatical to begin planning, um, the studio and, and just to also like, you know, focus on myself and focus on building things up before I opened. Um, and in that time I kind of eluded to building a project Okay. And I took my students along on that journey on my own personal Instagram. So they would like, you know, see me practicing and I would say like, stay tuned and leave little hints about what might be coming up. And it was there that I announced that I was opening my own studio and linked like the tag for homology there. Mm -hmm. And that was how we got our initial exposure. It was just through my own personal Instagram that like I I still have today. Yeah. If you scroll far enough, you'll find, <laughs> you'll find, I'll find the post. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really I've seen the post. Um, yeah. And so it kind of, it grew from there. We had, um, a really big opening day, which was like totally unexpected, but you know, where I, I held a free class and, you know, I don't know. I've always sort of felt like before I teach like a class, I would get this like feeling like, what if no one shows up? And I felt this way on the day of, I was like, what if no one comes in? Like all these people liked the photo. We have all these people following our account, which felt like a lot back yeah. in the day. Um, and on that day, we had 50 people come into that little oh, studio. Wow. Yeah, show up for our free classes. And I think that was like their initial exposure to what I could do as a teacher um, if they hadn't taken my classes before, mm-hmm. what our space looked like. Yeah. So that was kind of like the initial marketing of it, but I never actually like paid for marketing or did anything in the early days. I didn't even know how to, because it's just not my wheelhouse. Yeah. So I really leveraged my own skills as a teacher and let that speak for itself, let that grow things organically. And of course it was like, you know, in the early days, there were sometimes like only two students per class or one student per class. Um, if anyone's listening, who was like one of those like one-on-one classes, there's still something that I like treasure in my heart because it's been a long time since I've had a class like that. And I really, for the students that kept showing up in those days, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And in those early days, when you were growing your community, growing your business, what were the biggest challenges uh, that you were facing? Definitely one of the biggest challenges in those very early days um, that was like completely external was that we had a neighbor move in um, who opened a spin studio. Okay. Yes. I think I know where that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Right below us. And um, the management of our building was a little bit laissez-faire. Like they, they didn't have a lot of, hands-on control over what was happening. Mm -hmm. And so we initially opened up to like almost all day renovations. Right. Right underneath our space, which was not optimal. You know, when you're a brand new business and you're just, you're hoping that the people that visit you for the first time are going to return. It's unlikely that they're going to, if they spend the whole class listening to jackhammering, they'll be like, oh, this space is noisy. So that was really unfortunate and disheartening. And then Shortly after the renovations finished, we found out that that spin studio hadn't done any soundproofing. Mm-hmm. And so for the years that followed, we basically had nonstop um, noise disruptions from from that unit. And that, I think, was like, it was 
an, an enormous challenge. Like for, you know, me personally, when I was teaching, like the frustration of not having that, that space, that quiet space of having to constantly apologize of having to, you know, obviously get emails from students saying that it disrupted their class experience and feeling bad about that, that Mm -hmm. there was new. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely, and in the early days it was, it was a tremendous challenge. And even, you know, the, the lawyer in me was like, okay, well, you know, you can write a complaint and the management company should be able to, but yeah, it just never happened. And so that I think like learning to sort of put that aside and be like, okay, well, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. And now we just have to like, fun. and since then, you know, it's funny because I, I always think like that's these things in your path and they're, they're actually not meant for you. And that feel like a gift. They don't feel like a learning moment. They just feel like hard. Yeah. Um, but recently we've had this renovation next to our space again. And when I teach classes, I often um, approach it with this. Right now, it doesn't bother me. It's so yeah. funny. But I say, you know, every time you hear the drilling, I used to imagine it's an applause from next door. And this, you know, the mirrors are double-sided glass and there's an audience there and they're cheering for you. And it's sort of flipping that narrative and that's, you know, in early days, that's what I had to do. It was frustrating for the first few months, but that narrative had to change. Yeah. And um, I realized that, like, there was very little that we were going to be able to do about it. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you're quite good at reframing a situation where you don't have control. Like, I think some of this also comes from mindset. You seem to have a really positive mindset and you're really able to deal with challenges without... Does, do you think also yoga helps you with that? It helps you just focus on the here and now? I, you know, I try to be. Um, I'm human too. So, you know, there are days where I feel frustrated or upset or tired or sad. Um, especially recently, there's been a lot to feel, you know, tired about. Yeah. Um, but I do think the practice of yoga, not necessarily like the mat practice itself, but the practice of grounding in moments that feel um, destabilizing certainly is is a practice that helps with you know recognizing that there it's not just that one particular event that we don't have control over like we don't have control over really any of this yeah it's all an illusion and so I think once you kind of come into that state of acceptance it is a little bit easier to almost reframe that conversation that happens internally about like you know, maybe this is always happening to me or yeah, things like that. But I have my moments. What do you do (laughs) physically when you feel destabilized? Come back to the practice. Like what is it physically that helps you center? Absolutely moving my body. Yeah. Yeah. Moving my body and just being totally with my breath and my body and my movements. Um, You know, there are studies. It's not just like spirituality and yoga that that say this but there are scientific studies that show that we um we light up a part of our brain that that helps us with creativity and inspiration when we are in these states and so for me when I do feel like I'm uninspired or tired or feeling like life is a bit of a slog then I get on my mat and I do some form of movement the movement immersion has been really helpful for that because it's repetitive so you can really just sort of dial in and breathe yeah And when you're doing that, you're not focusing on anything else. You can quiet maybe internal conversations that are not um, feeling inspiring, that are not 
feeling good that are not feeling like a positive energy for your day. Yeah. And um, when you go back to like the early days and all of the challenges, was there something which was a big fail? Is there anything that you would have done differently if you had to do it over now? I think for in terms of like failure, perhaps I would I would have liked to reconsider um, taking on a business partner, and for the reasons that I did take on a business partner. So, a couple of years ago, um, I had invited uh, a partner into my business, um, and the major reason behind it, I'm like a super extrovert. I'm really social. I enjoy interacting with people. Obviously I'm a yoga teacher. (laughs) You should probably like those things if you're getting into this line of work. Um, but I really, you know, after a year or two of working on my own, I felt like I, I lacked collaboration. Mm -hmm. Every idea that I was coming up with, oftentimes I was running it by my husband and I was like, what do you think of this? And you know, John's not really like a avid yoga practitioner. He does, he's never owned a yoga business before. He's never freelanced. He doesn't really know the market. Um, but he's, he's so happy to help, but it's just that I think it, you know, it put pressure on him to come up with like ideas that, yeah. you know, he wasn't even really sure where to source them from. And so I started to think like, I think I need somebody, you know, on my team that maybe could help either like shoulder the load or like help me, creativity wise, like coming up with new ideas and things like that. Just somebody to like chat with and bounce ideas off of. And I had been approached by someone and we had, you know, kind of talked it out. And I thought it was like really clear what the nature of the business was. Um, But after she had tried it for about five months, she realized the scope of the business was just, it was a lot and it wasn't what she wanted. And I, you know, I have a lot of respect for that, yeah. especially now, you know, given the big decisions I've had to make in the past, you know, week or so thinking about that, I, I really respect her for coming forward and saying like, this is not for me. Yeah. Um, and it couldn't have been easy, but yeah, it was, it was certainly like disruptive at that time because, you know, now I had integrated this person into the business and mm-hmm. like that process of like, it, this person was also a friend of mine. So right. That was, um, I think, really challenging and probably not the right reason to take on a business partner. I could have hired an assistant or I could right. have hired another like salaried employee or something like that mm-hmm. rather than integrating someone so deeply into the business part of things, which is obviously very encompassing. It's taxing. It's hard work. Yeah. yeah. And do you have a business partner now or are you... You're- you're on, well, not on your own, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, it's just me now. Yeah. But I do have, you know, I have an assistant now and that was the best business decision I've ever made for myself. Okay. I wish I would have made it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. So I do. Yeah. When I hear that word, like big fail, I'm like, yeah, that could have been like a big win at that part. Um, but again, you know, you live and learn. Like, I think the universe was like, you need to learn this now because it'll be easier to deal with now than it will later on down yeah. the road. Yeah. So who is your, you said that you really wanted to feel like somebody was on your team. So 
I guess you've still created your own team around you, um, people who are your cheerleaders, your support. How important is that like for you in your day-to-day and, and running the business? I think in any business, you want a team of people who share your vision. Yeah. Um, but especially now, because I think at least from what we've been through, the days are not as easy as they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it gets hard and when you really have to dig deep is when you want to have a group of people that you can turn to who are really there carrying the load with you. Right. Yeah. Who see your vision and are going to help you kind of carry it through to the finish line. So when you say um, now, you mean in this post-COVID world? Yes. Yeah. And I think that was like a big learning moment um, this year was just like making sure that those who are with you really align on your vision yeah, and your values. And when that happens, it's almost like a seamless team event moving forward. Right. You all kind of rally around each other and, you know, the girls that, that work with me right now and they they are they're incredibly supportive and they're always you know very willing and excited to try new things yeah yeah okay so let's talk about then this past year this crazy year um on march 18th i think it was last year homology uh the studio closed its doors like every other gym or studio or fitness business or any other business in malaysia and then it's the beginning of April, so I think it was only three weeks or so later, Homology Online was born, and Homology has recently celebrated its first birthday, so that's Woo-hoo. amazing. <laughs> um, tell me what those three weeks were like. I mean, it must have been hugely up and down. Yeah. Honestly, when you said it was three weeks, I was like, gosh, it did not feel like three weeks. It felt like three years being in that moment. You know, the first days were really just like, I think we really believed that it was only going to be, what did they say? It was going to be two weeks of being inside. Yeah. And I think we really did believe that. So we didn't put a lot in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, more it was just like, okay, we're going to be inside for two weeks. Let's put something out there. Let's just put yeah, something out there. Yeah, let's just hang out. Engage, engage, we'll yeah. do, you know, a few Instagram live classes. And that was kind of it. Like it was just a kind of like, keep people busy, but it was not really like, we didn't think that it was going to extend beyond that. Yeah. Um, and it really wasn't until probably about halfway through the second week when we started hearing like rumors that like it was going to move beyond Mm -hmm. that I started to realize like, this is a more serious situation than just two weeks. This is going to be longer. And that's when sort of sustainability kicked in because it was like, okay, if we aren't operating the studio, then how are we generating any form of income Mm -hmm. in that time? How are my teachers going to generate income for themselves in that time? So that's when the wheels kind of started turning, but we had already sort of put things in motion to open up an online studio. We just hadn't actually 
done anything on it so yet. Even pre pre COVID, pre lockdown, this was part of the the long term vision. It was part of the long term vision. It was part of like essentially, it was part of the 2020 plan. And my husband okay. and I had bought like a brand new camera, and we were learning first the ropes of photography. So he would help me take like content for um, the studio, for my own social media, things like that. We are learning just the basics of that, but we hadn't gotten into videography yet. Right. We hadn't even purchased a microphone. Um, And fortunately during that time, my friend Aaron was visiting from Sri Lanka. He was here to teach a um, yoga workshop and a mobility workshop and uh, he had a microphone. So he lent that to us and we were playing around with it, filming a few things. So it was very scrappy. It was very scrappy. Um, And so it was sort of like, we had this plan and I would have, the planner in me would have loved to have a lot more time to like research it all. But when this happened, it sort of was like, okay, we're going to fast track something that we we already knew we were going to do, but we just hadn't actually experimented much with. So there was a lot of learning on the fly, of course, right? There was yeah. a lot of like recordings where like we recorded and then it, it didn't record anything or, yep. So having to repeat my classes, which yeah. still happens, you know, I think with, with technology, these things just happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a huge learning curve in those three weeks. And then once we sort of had everything ready to go, it was about like stockpiling classes. So when we launched, we would have enough. So I was basically filming almost every day. Yeah. And then the editing process thereafter of cleaning it up and putting on titles and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And, you know, so many fitness businesses, there was like a glut of fitness content online at that time. I mean, not yoga content, all kinds of workouts from home, like a million workout YouTube channels, a million yoga YouTube channels. Um, Much of it was, you know, uh, there was a lot of mixed success around it. But what did you, what were, what did you learn? Like, why do you think you guys were so successful? Honestly, I'm, I'm really grateful that we were. Yeah. Um, But you're right. There was so much out there that you have to wonder, like, would you, would you make an impact? Would anyone sign up for what we offer? I think I'm really big on like putting out quality over quantity. Yeah. And so I think like the fact that we right away made sure I was mic'd up properly, um, you know, everything was edited so it was bright and people could see me. It, and it was me. It was my my regular classes. It was me telling my like bad dad jokes. You know, all of that. I think combined. You know, the realness of it. Yeah. But also like high quality classes that people already loved was a huge, huge part of of us being successful in those early days. And did you find that stuff that was would work really well in a studio setting, for example, didn't work so well online? Or because you you also put out a lot of tutorials, like how to do a headstand, for example. What did, did you find you were refining your product constantly? Absolutely. Like I, I teach this in my yoga teacher training, um, online classes and in studio classes follow a completely different formatting. Yeah. Um, and so I 
had to refine the way that I teach and almost, I would say, like streamline it because people's attention spans in the home space are much shorter than what they can provide in, you know, a full studio space where they are there for 60 minutes and they've already committed to that. But 60 minutes in the home space sometimes can be really challenging, especially when you're just being introduced to online classes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so refining how... I approach sequencing yeah, and um, almost like getting to the point. Yeah. 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 Because I guess it's less chatty, right? It's not that environment where, you know, you're having a conversation with your teacher, so to speak, through the course of the class. Yeah. And in, in addition to sort of like, you know, being less chatty, you, you, in a classroom setting, you can see your students. So yeah. if you give a verbal cue and everyone makes their way there and everyone's basically aligned, you can leave it there and just tell them, you know, to breathe and experience the mm-hmm. pose. Whereas online, you almost have to over cue every single posture because you have to assume that your student maybe needs that extra little bit of help figuring out where where things should be located on the mat. Yeah. Because you can't see them and you don't have that that communication. So you have to be very, very effective in your cueing. Um, but then at the same time, I, I didn't want to sound robotic. I didn't yeah. want to be like, you know, constant, just like a barrage of alignment. So it was refining that balance between like giving really good instructions so that people are safe while they're moving, but also like still being myself and being able to like laugh or tell a joke or like, you know, be a little bit more light um, during the class so that it didn't feel too sterile. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important to me in this platform. Like everyone will have their own style with how they do online classes, but I think that's what sets us apart is that it is very human. It's very real. Very authentic. Yeah. I mean, I think everything that you put out there from all of across your social channels, it's very authentic. It's very easy to see. Well, it's very easy to feel like you're really seeing you. But I think this, you know, what you're saying is also really important to so many people who have um, mostly online businesses and particularly over the last year. But also, I think we're probably in this for for a while longer and there's still a huge opportunity when it comes to online businesses. So do you have like a key key learning or just a key piece of advice when it comes to setting up an online platform? Embrace the technological difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has them. Yeah. Literally everybody. Uh, I wish I had heard that more when I started because yeah. I felt like I just couldn't get it. But I think in the months that followed after our platform was already up and running, um, stories started to come out of like other entrepreneurs like struggling with similar things. And I was like, okay, it's not just me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, technology is, it's fickle. Sometimes, you know, it just malfunctions and that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Laugh it off. (laughs) (laughs) And okay. So I also want to talk about something which women I think don't talk enough about, about business and that's pricing because a lot of the content that was available in the last year online has been free. Um, but obviously Amology Online is a paid platform and I think that's a great thing. I think that services should be paid for. But did you ever experience like pushback or criticism or was it very difficult for you to figure out what people would pay for something that was online as opposed to in studio? Oh, 
the payment of yoga as a service. <laughs> I could honestly talk about this for 150 years, but it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, and I talk a lot about on my social media because there is, unfortunately, this stigma surrounding yoga as a paid service. And I'm really, I don't know if it comes from like the history of yoga and, you know, karma yoga, this act of selfless service um, that is, you know, in the yoga scriptures. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's what has it sort of wrapped up in that stigma, but it's it was challenging seeing how much free content was out there and knowing that like we were going to charge for hours mm -hmm. and questioning like would someone pay for ours when they can get it for free off and of how YouTube? much would they pay yeah. and is that enough to to survive yeah. our platform is priced to be complimentary for an in-studio practice okay so that the two kind of marry really well together yeah historically like throughout all the years that I like owned a studio that I freelanced, there was like one common thread. And like, if you live in Malaysia, you know, this, the jam is like notorious for like just throwing your schedule completely yeah. out the window, especially if it or rains. The rain. <laughs> yeah. The rain, the jam, the combination of the two, it's like, it's disastrous. So I would often hear students saying like, Oh man, I couldn't make it to class tonight because of the jam or the rain or a meeting that ran late. And I thought to myself, what if, yeah, they couldn't make it to that in-studio class, but they could still practice with me online. Yeah. And so the idea was that even if we went back to a studio practice, that they would be able to have both. Yeah. And it'd be sustainable, you know, financially. Mm -hmm. Because obviously if you're purchasing in-studio credits, there's one cost and then this would be a second. Yeah. On to that. So but it also needed to be sustainable for us so that we could pay our teachers and and pay for the platform that we stream from because we do have a, it's a membership base. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we did was we offered a free seven day trial. Yeah. So that students could actually go into the library. They could see how many classes were there and then they could actually try a class and see the quality for themselves. Mm -hmm. Because there, like you said, there was a lot out there and sometimes when things are free, it also you know, maybe you can't hear the instructor halfway through the class or, you know, the quality is reflected in the price sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if it's free, I think um, teachers or whoever's offering the service also doesn't feel, um, it's, it's less of an issue. If you're paying, if you're not paying for it, then technical issues are easier for you to disregard and just be like, yeah, well, it was free. You know, I'm just going to go along with it. It's much harder if you've paid for a service and um, and you're not getting the quality or you can't see the extent of the library or whatever it is. Yeah, I I certainly like to think that like we we know that like our students are paying. Yeah, and we we hold that in really high regard. We make sure that what we put out there is is worth what they are paying us, so that they're they're getting their money's worth. Mm -hmm. um, for what they've signed up for. So yeah, I think like, I think the free trial was helpful in the sense that like it introduced people to what we have. Yeah. Um, and we still do have, I think it's four or five, I can't remember, like sample classes that students can click into um, when they first visit our online platform that they can see what the class looks like. Yeah. There's like, you know, a yin class, I think um, 
There's like a, a flow class and a few others. And so they can actually experience it without actually having to pay for it. Yeah. Right off the bat. Um, so yeah, I do think that was, that was a good decision and, and helpful. And that is potentially what made the difference. Right. In, in, in terms of getting people to stay. Yeah. And continue to yeah. subscribe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, clearly it's been working because you have recently announced some pretty big news where homology is concerned. You are closing your studio and you're moving purely to focus on the online platform, um, which is an amazing testament to the success that you've had over the past year and the fact that you've clearly really listened to your community and delivered them a product that they really want. Um, and now this is more than a community yoga studio in Damansara Heights. This is, you have students all over the world. Yeah, which is fascinating to me. Like there are people that I will never probably meet that are... That know you. That know me. Yeah. That know I tell really bad jokes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that practice with us from all over the world, it's, it really is, I think, the coolest thing that has come out of this is being able to have like a global, a global community. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you made that decision. Like, was it purely a, a financial decision or was this something, was this part of your bigger plan? You've said you're a planner, like your bigger plan for your business, you know, has it been part of the plan for a while? I never really knew what the plan was going to be. I knew I would own the studio Actually, I never had a plan to do yoga teacher trainings and that sort of evolved organically with, you know, me seeing gaps in the yoga teaching community and saying like, okay, how can I, how can I fill that gap? What yeah. could I do to help that? And so that sort of evolved. And then I, I really enjoy doing that, teaching my yoga teacher trainings. Um, this sort of evolved from experience. Mm -hmm. And I would say like, I did not expect to like teaching online. I'm okay. comfortable in front of a camera, comfortable in front of a microphone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't bother me um, the way that I think it has been uncomfortable for so many teachers. Right. Um, but I really, I, I'm an extrovert, like I said, and I enjoy interaction. So I wasn't sure if that would be a barrier to my enjoyment. Right. Um, and it, it wasn't because I still get, you know, DMs and yeah. I hear from people and there is that communication on the other side. So I started to witness, of course, how much free time I had and how it was a little bit less encumbering to run an online studio versus an in-person studio. And of course, with the current situation and with, you know, the pandemic numbers rising and falling and the changing SOPs, it had become increasingly untenable to have a physical space. There were just so many things. We would, you know, receive messages from students saying like, well, how can you guarantee my safety? Yeah. And it's hard, you know, as, as someone who is big about listening to your body and about wellness and everything, I think to myself, like, I don't, I don't know. I can't guarantee your safety. I don't think anybody really can these yeah. days. You know, we do what we can. We follow the SOPs. We sterilize everything. But we don't know. And so with that, and it, it was not 
easy coming back after the lockdowns. It was, you know, a constant sort of struggle with getting our numbers up to a place where we would be able to be able to afford to pay our teacher. Yeah. And with the studio not generating um, as much returning income because people were hesitant to buy packages right. again, you know, mm-hmm. fearing another lockdown. It just, it wasn't enough to kind of sustain the business. Sustain it. Yeah. And rather than, I know a lot of business owners would like, you know, put more money into it to keep it going, knowing that it's going to maybe come out on the other side. But I just thought I can still do what I do. Yeah, exactly. There and is can, a viable alternative. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I've always been curious about putting more time and more energy into. And I have so many ideas, ones that I'm like in the process of like putting together and executing now. And I think it was just like, I wasn't feeling that same um, inspiration going into the studio anymore because it was just so heavy. Every day was really hard. Wearing a face shield to teach is like energetically just not great. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was all of those things combined. Um, And then a few external factors with, you know, building maintenance and stuff like that, that just sort of had me kind of finally pull the trigger and say, all right, we're going to do it and we're going to try something different. Well, it's exciting. I think it's really exciting. And I know we've talked about this before, but um, I think that the fact that you you set up Homology online, in my view, so quickly, three weeks is very quick to get an online platform up and running. And it's become so successful that it's now your core business. And you are reaching a global audience of, of yogis. Um, so what's, what are these exciting plans you have? Can you share anything with us? What's next? One of the things, like I said, I'm always looking to fill gaps where they exist. I think if you've got a, an itch, often they say like somebody else might too. Yeah. And so one of the pitfalls of the current industry is that it relies on freelancers Mm-hmm. Um, to teach classes, yeah, and that it relies on like fixed timings. Okay, and so a lot of feedback that we've gotten this year is that you know everybody's schedules have just totally been turned upside down. Mm-hmm. What you know once worked for the before work crowd doesn't really work anymore, or the after work crowd now needs to practice at a different time. Yeah, and so we are looking to fill that gap to make it more accessible that you can practice at any time, yeah. but still have the experience of a class of the day. Yeah. So for students who experience choice fatigue, like if, you've, if you're like me, you sit in front of Netflix and you're like, oh, what should I watch tonight? Yeah. And then your dinner is cold. And there's nothing to watch. And there's nothing Even to watch. there's so much choice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? So we want to sort of... Um, clean that up a little bit, that process. So Mm -hmm. having, you know, an actual class that you can commit to each day. And if you don't like that class, of course, we have a library of classes that you could go to. Mm -hmm. Um, But having a way that you can also experience a very balanced practice, because of course, with freelancers, they don't communicate with each other. So you would never know going to regular studio classes, it's possible that everyone could teach backbends that week. And they would never know that the teacher before them taught backbends. And yeah. so you would never see maybe anything with hips that whole week long. Mm-hmm. So with this, that we are, this new thing that we're rolling out, hopefully in June, um, maybe by the time everyone's listening to it, it'll already be out. I don't even know. But essentially you'll receive a class of the day and each of the classes that will follow will 
give you a balanced practice. So you will be able to experience different postures, different muscle engagements, different mobility techniques um, from one day to the next so that your body feels really, really balanced. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. The other thing Mm -hmm. I was thinking about when you were telling me this is also for freelancers, this opens online practice opens up uh, opportunities for them because they don't need to run around between five different studios a day. It actually means that they can be yoga teachers as a viable side hustle to many other things. So it creates like a lot of employment opportunities as well and a lot more teachers can come through your system. Absolutely. And that was a huge part of this consideration is that how can I also create a system that for the people who have supported me will support them in a way that doesn't ask them to work so inconsistently and be running all over the place all of the time. Can we make that work more concentrated? Yeah. And in, you know, focus on one day or two days a week and then let them experience their life and live the other, you know, moments of the day, which is something that I've really enjoyed. And so I think that, you know, that also fills that sort of like the hecticness of, of studio life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really exciting. Um, I think you're, I think you're doing such a good job just responding to every challenge and meeting it and exceeding it. Um, so I just kind of wanted to finish on like, what does, do you, do you pinch yourself that you've manifested this self, this for yourself and it's, you thought about it and you've actually executed it? Like, what does success mean to you? I probably don't pinch myself enough. And I think it's like moments like this, like talking about it, that I actually, I get the moment to sit back and be like, yeah, you know, you did that and it's incredible and celebrate it. And I, I'm a big believer that we should celebrate our, like our, our little successes, our big yeah. successes too. Um, success to me has always been like very, very synonymous with like, the word fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, and fulfillment for me is, you know, positive energetic exchange. And when I talk about that, it sounds like a lot of foo-foo, but I really mean like positive energetic in- exchange in the sense that your remuneration feels like adequate comp- compensation for what you're, you're putting out into the world. Um, and that it aligns with a sense of purpose. And for me, doing this is very much totally in line with success. I feel fulfilled in what I do. I feel aligned in my purpose. And I am, of course, being remunerated for what I put out into the world and remunerated fairly. And so, yeah, as a yoga teacher, that's extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. I'm so glad that you really feel so fulfilled and that you know, you've set out what you wanted to achieve. You've, uh, you are that living your know. life with purpose and you didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. It yeah. just, it, it, it ha- happened. It's, it's those things, right? Yeah. You know, it didn't just happen. A lot of work went mm-hmm. into it, but when you look back at all of that work, then you can kind of feel like, oh, it did just, just happen. It did. You sometimes yeah. gloss over all of the hard work and the sweat and the blood that went into it. So what would what advice would you give for someone out there who's listening to this and probably wants to start their own business but doesn't know how or doesn't have the courage in themselves to do it? 
um, what would you say? What would you say to them? Two things. Number one, don't wait until you have the perfect product. Start now. You will learn through experience. I'm very big on experiential learning, not just because I'm a yoga teacher and like that's how we learn on the mat, but that's how we learn in life. We do things, we see how it works, and then we do it again. And yeah. maybe we need to do it you know, differently the next time. Um, so just start. Don't worry about what you're putting out there. Put out your best effort and learn from it. Um, and the second thing, and this is like, <laughs> this is for everybody who wants to do something out there but is afraid of the roadblocks, and a little bit for me too, is that they are there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And we don't always appreciate them in the moment, but I cannot in this moment, and, and I don't even think even after we leave here today, I will be able to think of anything that has not been a gift from the universe. I've had so many roadblocks and they felt like they were going to be the end of my business or the end of my journey. And they were actually a redirect. And yeah. most roadblocks are a redirect and it wasn't meant to go that way anyways. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, you end up with something better. Yeah. So yeah, learn to love the roadblocks. <laughs> Trust in the process. Trust in the process, yeah. It reminds me of something that I heard um, recently from Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. He talks about life is a verb, it's in the doing. Um, and so many people are focused on the destination. And I think what you've just shared today really brings that home. So thank you so much. It's thank been you. so much fun talking to you and, and also getting to know you a little bit better as we've, as we've planned this chat. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's chat with Kylie. The idea that you should start now and not wait for your product to be perfect is something that I have heard time and time again from entrepreneurs. So if you're thinking of making a change in your life, do it. Start now, start today. You will only find what works by trying, maybe falling down, and then getting back up again, adjusting, and doing it all over again. If you enjoyed this chat, please subscribe and send us your comments and feedback on Instagram. And of course, come back again next week. New episodes drop on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Tuesdays. See you then.